Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the third and final part of our full interview with David Pierce, where we discuss AI in FX trading and much more about GPS capital markets. We even have a surprise at the end of the episode where we interview Alex Youngman, also from GPS, but based in London, offering us his perspective on the European market. David Pierce has over three decades of experience in all aspects of foreign exchange, international banking, and trade finance. His extensive experience in structuring hedging strategies, multi-tiered transactional exposures, utilizing derivative products makes his advisory services highly demanded by multinational corporations. And with him, Alex Youngman, who is the Vice President of Sales and Trading European Markets at GPS Capital Markets. He has extensive experience in FX management and offers us a view on the UK and European markets. In the episode of today, expect to learn much more about the role of macroeconomics and country economics in managing FX risk, who is GPS Capital Markets and what they expertise in, how does GPL Capital Markets ensures transparency and security in its transactions, how is AI being used in FX trading and how it is impacting the brokerage world, and like always, much, much more. David is a reference in the field, and we are super grateful for having him on the show. He appears regularly on CNBC to discuss the financial market, and it is an absolute honor to have him on the podcast. We truly hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn more about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. On another note, the conversation we had with Dave and Alex was really insightful and we discussed about ways we could collaborate further together. If you'd like to get in touch with Dave or Alex, we have worked together on a link where you can book a demo from GPS Capital Markets and explore how their team can actually help you. Head to the link in the description or to gpsfx.com slash book dash a dash demo. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is an hourly treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solutions. They believe treasury and finance can lead your organization strategically, drive innovation, and provide key insights. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the treasury industry. For this partnership, they came up with an automation scan that can help you see if there are automation opportunities in your internal processes. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 10 minutes. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. And with all that being said, please welcome David Pierce. So tell us more about GPS and specifically like what differentiates you from other brokerages. So you mentioned a couple of the softwares that you have that um, help them. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about specifically 
what GPS do, what differentiates you versus other brokers sure. and, and the, the unique th benefits that you bring. Yeah. And, and let me take you in the way back machine to when we started the company, because I think that that's, that's integral into who we are and why we're here. But there's a group of us worked for a regional bank out of Salt Lake City, which is where I'm at today. And when we started working there, we really were intent on putting together things that were great for our clients. And we had a lot of really cool things we did for our clients. We were very innovative and on the cutting edge. Well, that regional bank got bought by a big bank. And one of the first things that the big bank said was, you know, all those really cool things you're doing for your clients, you're not doing them. And so basically they downgraded all of our services. And you'd think if you get a big bank with, you know, billions and billions of dollars that you're going to upgrade, instead we downgraded service. And that didn't sit very well with us and didn't sit very well with our clients. And so after about a year of that, that's when we started this company, GPS Capital Markets. And that was one of our very first goals was we do what the customer needs. The products that we have, the tools that we have are based off of our customer needs. And so we've grown with that philosophy. Now we've got tools that obviously do spot trades, forward trades, you know, window contracts and drawdowns. And we've got tools that do, you know, cash flow forecasting, cash flow hedging, batch payments where companies can send us a, a big batch file. We send thousands of payments out at one time. We've got our intercompany netting tool that I discussed. We've got our balance sheet hedging tool, which is where we go out and gather all of the information from clients and their subsidiaries about all their exposures around the world and different pieces. That's generally what we are trying to do is we're generally trying to offer the tools and the systems that clients need. So we've got treasury tools, actual treasury management tools. You know, if you need to know what your balances are in all of your different accounts around the world, so you can aggregate them together and, and see them by currency, we've got that. Multi-currency accounts that allow us to go out and they can hold a digital wallet with us and have funds go in and out of that through a virtual IBAN. That we really try to be most things to most companies. Because of this, I would say that our the type of client that we have at GBS Capital Markets is different than the traditional brokerage. I think that the volume that we put through the average trade size is probably, and this is through a lot of analysis, probably three or four times larger than the average brokerage firm. Because we're dealing with more sophisticated companies, more true multinationals, not just an exporter, you know, building something here and exporting out, but have operations all over the world that tend to have larger transactions. And so our transaction size seems to be, tends to be larger. And we tend to deal with companies that are a little bit larger in scale. I and mean, we deal with people all across the board. Don't get me wrong. You know, from the mom and pop shops up, but we tend to have a lot more larger clients than a traditional. So if, if, you, if you want somebody that can deal with the bigger guys, that's that's who we are. Yeah. And, and I think that of all the brokers out there, we'd be right at the top of that scale. Super interesting. I saw on your website that you guys uh, also propose like payment processing and exposure management as well. Like you really like went out from the whole, you're not just a brokerage. I mean, you call yourself a brokerage, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't have expected an FX broker to have like a intercompany netting tool. We already discussed that, right? right? Why would you cut out your own service from, yeah. <laughs> from the middle? Um, and then you guys are doing this paper. Like you guys 
like I started there and branched out or how did that happen? Yeah, I, it, it all kind of started within the first year of the company because we had clients that needed this. We had, for, we had a client specifically come to us and they were looking for a global balance sheet hedging tool. And they told us everything they wanted. They told us the problem the company had. Basically, they had all these exposures and they needed the net and they didn't know how to track and manage it. And they were looking for a tool and they couldn't find one that was working. They couldn't find anything that worked good for them. And so we sketched it all up on spreadsheets on, you know, how this would work. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what we want. And so we just hired somebody to program for us. And, you know, within a couple of months, we were up and running. And it was like, ah, guess what? We're kind of in a new business here. So it has really been driven by client need. And rather than just saying, well, I hope you find somebody, you know, we've got a big dev department. We've got 18 people that are doing dev for us full time. And they've been here for, you know, we've been developing for 20 years. So all of the tools and systems we've got, they're, they're ours. They're not anything, anything we bought from anybody else. They're homegrown and everything is built in-house. So it's, we've got control over it. We know what's going on with it and it works well. And if, and if it doesn't work well, it's our fault. So, so as you say, it's client driven, right? So yes, that's based off the needs of the client. But at the same time, you also gave a really nice example of like, I guess at some stage clients come to you and say, oh, we want to hedge this thing. And can you help us buy a hedge in this market here that will help us offset our The question was, what do you think uh, treasurers get wrong when they come to you to talk about FX risk management? What's the number one misconception that you get? I think that most treasurers feel like it needs to be an adversarial relationship and not a partnership. They feel like it's us against them. And they have a hard time really believing that we're there to help them. We want to to move forward and, and help them manage their currency better. And it, it's kind of funny because it's amazing that things that clients will hide from you <laughs> when you're first starting a relationship out because they'll like, oh, well, we got this, you know, little exposure over here that's maybe a million dollars a year. And, and as you get in and you start talking to them about that, it's like, well, yeah, we do have this hundred million over here that maybe we ought to talk about too. But I think that just historically, in this industry, there's been so many people that have not necessarily been on the client side that everybody approaches this with a high bit of skepticism. And that's what we really want to break down, that idea that we could actually do execution, but we could actually be working for the client themselves. So we really want to move that forward. The other thing is clients tend to focus on one type of hedging, not multiple types of hedging. So for instance, in Europe, we tend to see most clients focus almost exclusively on cash flow hedging. In the United States, we see a lot more clients focus on balance sheet hedging. And one is not right, one is not wrong. Both are vital as part of that process. And let me explain that. If you have got a business and you know you sell stuff all year long and you've got forecast of sales going out in the future, that's something you should look at and you should probably hedge that, even if it's just a portion. On the converse side, if you also have given exposures, so for instance, let's say you've made an intercompany loan to one of your subsidiaries in a foreign currency. 
Well, you know they're going to pay that back, and you know you've got that currency exposure on your book. It's not a forecast. You know it's going to come back. Maybe you don't know when it's going to come back. It might be five years before it comes back. But you still have that exposure. You want to hedge that. It's a known exposure, and that's something you should hedge 100%. Those are the kind of the two disparities that we see people just locking into one view of their risk and their exposure. One of the biggest issues that we run into when when first working with the treasurers is there there really is a lot of skepticism from the side of treasury professionals when it comes to dealing with brokerages or their financial institutions because it's been set up as an adversarial relationship over the years. And that's what we are really trying to fix. We're trying to change that so that it's not an adversarial relationship. It's really a partnership. And it's amazing how many people you will get that say, well, you know, we got a little $1 million exposure and here and nothing really else. And once you get into a relationship and you've done something for them, they're like, oh, well, yeah, we got a hundred million over here that we didn't talk about. Hey, we got to talk about that. And so it, that's what we really are striving to do is make this a win-win situation where, you know, we're, we're not hiding anything from our clients. We're trying to help them identify their exposures. We're help, trying to help them reduce them as much as we can through natural hedges. But we want to make sure that we are, we're on their side. We're working for them. Super clear. So what, what's the main things that a treasurer, when they come to work with an FX broker, need to come, like, always keep in mind? So one thing is be transparent, right, and try to establish trust. Anything else that treasurers are always going with the mindset with? Well, I would guess that historically the way that a lot of different brokers have sold is just on price. And that's all they do is, you know, I could save you five pips on this here and there. Well, you know, that's that's all well and good, but price is not everything. The big difference between price and service, like, for instance, if, okay, so you, you save five pips, but now you're not taking advantages of your natural hedges and you're hedging 100 million instead of 50 million, well, what did five pips do for you? It did, not, did nothing for you because you're paying spread on twice as big a volume. So- you, you need to actually look at the whole picture. It's not just about price. It's about value. And if you can go in and, and save somebody, think of the example I gave earlier. A company that had 200 million in FX that they were executing every month and you move that down to seven or eight million a month. I don't care how many pips you can save somebody. You're not going to save them nearly the money they are if you could show them how to cut that out of the volume, out of the marketplace, right? So it is... You've got to look at things holistically and you've got to look at the big picture and not just look at it short side. It's interesting. That's the part that you, you touched on because I would have assumed, again, having not done it, right, that if I'm working with a broker that's managing all my FX transactions, it's transparency in the transactions themselves that I would be most like interested in. Is that just a granted in the industry or is that... I think that videos. that has been driven in the industry by people that don't have anything else to sell. When all you have to sell is price, I mean, of course you're going to sell that. That's all you got. But if you've got more services, you've got more to offer, then that's not where you start. And I think a lot of the brokerages have specifically, you know, the younger people that don't have a lot of experience, that's all they know. And so that tends to be what they sell. You sell what you know, right? And I'm selling knowledge. That's what I'm selling. And the gray hair. I think gray hair. Well, what's left of it? You know, there's not much of it left. But, you know, <laughs> being, see, that's why I've got this snow background here. So it, it looks like I've got big hair. 
<laughs> Didn't notice. Kind of the same color, right? Blends so, the end. Could you give a, a, another story to us, Dave? I know you love your stories, and, and we love hearing them about like a unique solution that GPS offered its its clients in that vein. Not just looking at the FX, but something unique that it provided on top. Let me think about something here. We had a client come to us a while back, and the problem that they had is they were not making as much money as they thought they should, and they couldn't figure out why. So they had, they looked at their consolidations, they looked at how much they sold their product for and how much their markup was, and they just couldn't figure out why their net revenues were significantly lower than what they should be. And what they found was, and well, what we found for them was they were selling all of their product. So it's the U.S. company, okay? So the U.S. company, they were selling their product to their subsidiaries. And so I'm just going to use their UK subsidiary as an example, because this is where the biggest loss was coming. So they were selling their product to the UK subsidiary in US dollars, right? All right. So at the parent level, did they have any currency exposure? No, because they were getting paid back in US dollars, right? But the UK entity had significant exposure because their cost of goods was based in US dollars. Well, what was happening was they were buying product from the, the U.S. parent in dollars, then selling it in pounds and in euros because they were that's where they sold was in pounds and euros. And they had 90-day terms with the parent company. They were doing no hedging and they had very thin margins. So by the time that they sold the product, collected the funds and were able to exchange the funds and get them back to the parent, more often than not, they were losing money on the product. And the parent hadn't given the subsidiary any ability to hedge. So they couldn't even do any hedging over there. They didn't have the authority to hedge. So there was all these FX gains and losses, which were actual profit that the company was losing or was happening at that subsidiary level. Once they consolidated the financials, it just come through as cost of goods sold, right? It wasn't showing up as a foreign exchange gain or loss. This was just showing up in their cost of goods sold. And they couldn't figure out why the cost of goods sold were out of control. Well, it's because they weren't doing any hedging of that payable back to the parent. And the parent just looked at it as, well, that's part of doing business with our subsidiaries. So once we were able to identify that, break that out, and then start hedging that intercompany payable back to the parent, all of a sudden their, their net revenues popped right back to where they expected them to be. And this was was not really complicated. It was kind of simple, but from an accounting, if when the accountants looked at it, there was no problems with it from an accounting standpoint, right? The accounting was being done right. And when they looked at it from a logical financial analysis standpoint, everything looked right. We're selling it for this and it's, we've got this markup, but why are we not making that markup? And so that company was really excited because they're like, we never even thought about that one piece because it never seemed to be a real issue because they'd been doing this for a bunch of years and, and the currencies hadn't been very volatile. But all of a sudden we get some, introduce some more volatility into it. All of a sudden it's costing them real money. So that's the kind of thing that I just, I love to find. I love to find those kind of things for companies. And it's simple, but you know what? It's not easy to see. 
when you look at how accounting systems are set up, there's zero visibility there because the accounting systems automatically do that consolidation for you. And if they do the consolidation for you, you can't see where that FX gain and loss is happening. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, but they, they had an idea that it was somewhere in the FX. I mean, that's why they came to you, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, frankly, this was this was kind of like an offhand comment that they made. They're like, we're so frustrated with doing business in the UK because we think we should be making a lot of money over there. We're not. We don't know what's going on. And I offered to go in and I says, can I go in and do like a, I'll go in and do like an audit for you, a free audit. I will go in, dig through the numbers, look through and see if I can find out what's going on. I've been doing this for over 35 years. So even if it's not foreign exchange related, I know enough about accounting and treasury that I can usually help somebody figure something out, right? And so I just offered to go in and do this for them. And they're like, okay. And I, I was there for about a half a day before we finally dialed in on what was going on and started identifying this just through asking simple questions, getting the people in London on the phone, getting the people here on the phone. And once we identified it, they're like, geez, that was simple. And it's an easy thing to edge because if you sell a million dollars worth of product to somebody in UK in dollars, you know, you can put a hedge on for a million dollars against the pounds immediately and and lock that in 100%. And you know when you're going to pay it back. It's it's an, the easiest hedge to do because you you know how much it is, you know when it's due, it's intercompany, it's it's a no-brainer. And all of a sudden it just solved all their problems. Very cool. So again, I, I said this earlier as well, you talk less like a broker. You talk more like a consultant that comes in to solve FX problems. Yeah. I don't hear the whole, I, you have a little bit of the spreads and the this and yeah. the edge of that yeah. and everything, but it's more like there's a problem, we need to find the best solution to it and dig down to the root cause of it, not just surface yeah. level, try and find some derivatives that are going to offset the problem, but actually dig down into the root source of what the problem is. Sure. Try to tackle it there. If not that, find us. Is that, is that the right way to put it? Yeah, absolutely is the right way to put it. And we try to do that across the company. I believe we spend more time training our employees than anybody does. And we train them in deep concepts. So for instance, I'm in the process of going around to all of our clients, all of our offices globally. I've already been over to our UK office. I spent one solid week there training them specifically on accounting, uh, accounting for foreign exchange, how to identify exposures, how to manage those exposures, just so that we had, and then, wow, I'll tell you what, you know how many sales guys want to sit in an eight hour a day training for five days rather than going out and doing their job? No, they don't. But they, when they come out of this, they say, oh my gosh, we didn't understand what kind of exposure. I was doing this training up in Canada and one of my guys has been doing foreign exchange for 25 years. He's like, I thought I knew everything. And now I realized I only knew a third of what's going on because there's so much more going on in the background from the accounting. It's not just treasury, it's the accounting as well. And if you can understand the whole process and help your clients understand that whole process, that there's more people that need to be involved in this, it just makes it better. So yeah, we want to be consultants. We want to be very consultative. And I, I will tell you that we've got the best, best people in the world because we put the time and effort into training them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, well, you get you back on. that's my pitch. That's my sales pitch right there. So 
I'm not oh, I don't back on want things. to be self bitchy, but I you know I like to talk about concepts, but you know, I, I'm a firm believer that we've got great people. Mm-hmm. Probably excited to the training. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mother, you're biased. <laughs> yeah, I completely out of percent biased. I mean, you know, I'm I'm willing to admit I'm biased on that, but you know, I, it's my firm belief. So, no, oh, we got a flavor of that today as well, Dave. So, thank yeah. you so much for taking us through all of that and explaining the role that brokers have um, in FX risk management. Let's pick your brain as someone that's been in the industry for a very long time. As a topic, we've been sort of talking about more and more on the podcast overall, and also on LinkedIn and on and on newsletters as well. You've already highlighted the importance of technology, specifically the softwares that you've built, the dev team that you have, you said it's 18 people strong. And so you, you as a company put a very strong emphasis on technology. The last two years, we've seen a huge boom in a very big technology, which is AI. And in the fast paced world of FX, where volatility is, is all of a sudden, I'm assuming it's a really, really big topic that's going to revolutionize the industry. What's your take on the role that AI is going to have on FX risk exposure management. Well, I'm a big fan of AI. In fact, I use you know, chat GTP all the time in helping me write things, you know, because it is really good at putting structured sentences and paragraphs around specific topics. Love it. We also have got one of our traders on our desk who used to work for an AI company in military intelligence. I know. And, uh, you know, like the real cutting edge of this. And he had put together an AI trading program for FX. Before everybody gets excited, what we found out is it's just about as good as anything else in the marketplace. I think when we talk about AI, a lot of people think like, I'm going to have this do all these trades for me and I'm going to beat the market and I'm going to make all this cash. I don't think that that's where AI is going in foreign exchange. I don't think that that's going to change the world. Where I do think it has been really changing is it when it has been like reading invoices and and putting those into invoice capture systems so it's easier to process the payments and the actual business of foreign exchange. It is that end of the world that I think it has been really, really valuable in. And from a I've talked to you about a lot of our systems, a lot of our tools, and a lot of the technology we've got. It is being very helpful in being able to program those kind of things faster. It's been very helpful in being able to to basically make some of the work processes and the workflows that we do in those systems faster. So yeah, I think it is is really going to speed up the world that we're in and the way that we deal with things. But I don't think that being able to go out and trade FX and make a fortune and become a trillionaire is here yet. So I, I love AI, it's, but I think that we just need to make sure that we understand where it's going and what it's going to be be used. You made us so you have, you have different opinions of me from me on that, Hassan, but that's my gut feeling. No, I think that's definitely the first place it's going to come. I, I, I think 100%. So we have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter called uh, AI and Treasury, basically, uh, where, we, where we find different applications for AI that's going on in Treasury either already happening or just explaining concepts of AI to treasures and whatnot. And honestly, a lot of the tools that we review and, and then write about um, are indeed capturing more the, let's say, mundane, repetitive side of a lot of the tasks treasurers are doing, which perhaps just couldn't be just or a little bit 
off of being automated by a simple algorithm or a simple line of code. And maybe you do need a little bit more of like reading and understanding to then be able to assist in, in the more thought processes. Um, right. I, now, what's the future of all that? I don't know. But right. I mean, even like we have today, I think I completely agree. Yeah. E even like, like our expense management tool, you know, I've got a, a camera on my phone here, right? And when I charge something for work, I just take a picture of it. And I would say that 99% of the time, it scans the invoice, gets the right amount on there, and automatically uploads it into my expense management system, right? So, I mean, that's AI. I mean, that's what it's doing and because it's, it's identifying things. And it is those type of tasks, rather than me taking a photocopy and digitally uploading it and manually putting in all things, saving me time. And I get that. And I think that that's really where it's hitting the cutting edge. And that's one place that I'm trying to go to is, is I'm trying to get better at helping my clients manage that, you know, that payable receivable process. And how can we make it so that it's more automated so that it, my payable, your receivable check one another and they, they are matching so that we can agree to pay. That's a big deal because it's really time consuming work. That's the kind of thing where you've got tons of clerks manually keying things in a lot of room for error and it's it's going to make that life a lot better super interesting dave to wrap up you've taken us through what fx risk exposure is where it comes from how it typically can be seen from a different light inside those problems and also what gps does and, and the services you offer is there anything else that we haven't discussed that maybe you want to touch on on those topics oh there's probably a million things and we probably should have another session sometime, but I am very passionate about this stuff. And, uh, and I can literally speak for days. And as my guys all around the world can attest to, you know, if I go over and teach them for eight hours a day for five days, they, they get sick and tired of listening to my voice. But this is such a fun topic. And, and it's, I'm so passionate about it that I just love that you've had me on because it, it really makes me happy to talk about these things. You can probably tell I, I get really, I'm not, I'm not the world's most passionate person about a lot of things, but this is something I really get excited about. And I know it's financial, geeky, accounting, treasury stuff, but I get real passionate about it. I love it. That's what we're all about here. Definitely you're going to have to come, awesome. come on again and give us some world-class training on accounting for FX and, and whatnot. That, that was the kind of topics we love on the show. So definitely yeah. I'd love to have you back on. Well, you know, I'm going to be in world Europe. Uh, maybe we can get together when I'm over then. Face to face. Yeah. Be great. It'd be great. Yeah. Awesome. Where can people go to find out more about you, GPS? Where should they go? You can go to our website. It is gpsfx.com. Um, like, you know, the GPS like is in the GPS systems and then FX foreign exchange. So gpsfx.com. You can go there, find more information about us. You can reach out to me directly if you want. I'm on LinkedIn, David J. Pierce. Or you can send me an email, dpierce at gpsfx.com. Happy to answer questions. And I'm kind of the guy that loves to chat with people. So if you want somebody that you need to just, you know, bounce ideas off of, you know, call me because I, like I say, I geek out on that kind of stuff. And if it's not me, I'll get you to the right person. I've got people, having done this for so long, I've got people all over the world I know in, in all kinds of niche industries. And if I don't know it, I can usually get you to the right person, so. And I'm not those scared. All of that. Like, in the, so, yeah, reach out. Great. All that's in the show notes below as well for everyone. Dave, Great. thank you so much for being on the show. And with him, Alex Youngman, 
who is the Vice President of Sales and Trading European Markets at GPS Capital Markets. He has extensive experience in FX management and offers us a view on the UK and European markets. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We had an amazing conversation with David Pierce, uh, your US counterpart, and we were interested in getting insights about the European markets. So maybe we could start by talking about how do you, uh, Alex, GPS capital market within Europe and treasurers perceive uh, FX brokerage in Europe versus what we could see or feel in the US, for instance? Yeah, it's always been an interesting one for me. I feel that there is a variation between the UK and Europe, first of all. Uh, I think the UK is uh, is much more advanced from a brokerage perspective. Europe is probably, in my experience, about 10 years behind. I think the last five, six years have really been the push for brokerages. I think I started operating in the Dutch market eight years ago, and there has been a significant change over those eight years. I think if we compare that to the States, uh, the States is almost more in its infancy uh, when it comes to the knowledge around brokerages and what we can actually offer. Awesome. Super clear. How do you, how do you explain this 10 years gap and how does it, how do you see it in terms of what's happening on the market? Like where does it come from? The 10 year gap, I think is relatively easy. Brokerages started in the UK, must've been 20 years ago. I remember when I started a counterparty, uh, not GBS. They were well-versed, big client base, well-established as a business, but we didn't have any European presence. I was the first one to be contacting Holland in this case. And at that point, businesses hadn't heard of brokerages. So I know in Holland, as I worked for a bank previously, the concept in Holland is very much everything under one roof. Whereas in the UK, companies had already got used to the idea that brokerages are out there, they could get better service, they could get better uh, rates on their FX. So it already already been established. I think that's really telling when you look at it from a, a cold calling perspective. I know it's always the uh, painful topic, but if you look at cold calling in the UK versus Europe, I think CFOs, FDs are probably fed up with it. I, I wish they get hammered day in, day out. Whereas my understanding is from clients and prospects that I speak to in, in Europe, in Netherlands, in Belgium, it is becoming more frequent, but you might think four or five times a week, perhaps a month rather than four or five times a day. So I think that's really what shows. And I'm sure that will change over time because as the market has evolved, as brokerages realize that there is opportunity out in Europe, we will see more and more move. And we have seen that over the last five years there. Brexit has obviously uh, facilitated this move and every company has had to create uh, an EU hub. And it's just been where have these companies gone and yeah, what markets can they target as a result? That's interesting. So that gap that you see between the UK, the EU, and the US. Could you elaborate more on like how on the corporate side, they also react differently to brokers? So I'm talking, how does a treasurer in most of these yeah. companies or CFO, if they're a bit smaller, uh, interact with brokerages in the UK, perhaps differently to the US? Yeah, I, I think when you look at it from a small to medium sized businesses and then to the, the big corporate companies, Businesses that were doing anything up to kind of 20, 30 million in FX weren't getting the service from, from the banks. That had really changed over time. And there are what, 40 odd thousand clients and the banks simply couldn't give them the services that they looked at required. So that was an immediate win for brokerages. And that's where, it, that's where the market initially established itself. And I think that started really from a base element of just day-to-day -day trading, your spot, your forward, and perhaps option contracts, depending on the brokerage. 
I think when you now look at it today for a corporate uh, treasury perspective, it's all becoming around the tools. It was never so much about, okay, what can I do as a trading position, but what am I getting as an add-on service? What consultancy advice am I getting? What information can that brokerage leverage, utilize to help me in that position? I think that's where GPS has always been very, very successful because we have these tools, which I'm sure Dave is taking you through in depth as well. It is those tools that have been the, the add-on, which has really helped us in the treasury space because it goes one step further than just your your day-to-day -day trading which they do and most tr corporate treasurers will be dealing with three or four banks at least so they have that functionality what they don't have is the the insight the knowledge the information that we're able to provide from a more data perspective translational uh concept so that's really where i think it has helped on the european market that's really where we see that advantage versus perhaps other brokerages that don't offer that yeah those those add-on tools and are you offering the same services in the US versus the EU uh, versus this part of the world? Yeah, we do. From a business perspective, everything we have is sold across the board. Uh, we sell them in all countries. We definitely see a difference in markets as to what products are more interesting. How so? Given Sagan. How so? Like, what's what's the differences that you see? What are people? Yeah, if I look at it from an, a from a US perspective, they're, they're very advanced in the in the in the cash tools, the treasury tools that they have had to offer. We're, our, the American market has been running, what, 20, 21 years. The European market for us is perhaps five years running now. So we're still finding our feet when it comes to those treasury tools, but it is those treasury tools that are opening up those discussions. And they're the ones that are getting us into in the door with these corporate treasurers. And we're slowly starting to see that portfolio grow. But what we see more, for instance, on the UK side, it's still very much a hedging situation what can we offer businesses from a hedging perspective because they probably aren't getting the credit lines that they need from their banks and i think that's something i do see as a variation between the uk and europe it seems that the uk banks are a little bit more tougher stricter on their credit facilities for companies to hedge versus what my experience have been in the european banks they've taken the fight on with the the brokerages they want to offer those products it's more challenging is one thing i definitely see but there is still a major space for GPS and what we offer. That's super interesting. Do you think it's like, again, if I, so if we draw the split between the US and let's say UK and Europe, there's more currencies on this side of the pond, right? So yeah. naturally there'll be a more of a affiliation towards understanding that we need to hedge. You've got the obvious UK Euro pairing, which a lot of business, sorry, but you've got the obvious GBP versus uh, Euro pairing, which yeah. Those two economies are intrinsically very, very linked. And a lot of commerce happens across. UK exports a lot of financial services to Europe. So do you think that there's just more of a understanding of the need on this side of the pond, like yeah. just because of the historical context? Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, I mean, we've had this conversation before and I know I've had that conversation with Dave. It, it, it's, America is still very dollar centric. Uh, and as a result, my experience has been the sophistication around understanding the FX and the FX impacts on companies is less warranted, less worried about. Whereas obviously in Europe, UK, every company is exposed. Most companies are importing from America, from Asia. So there is always FX exposure from the get go. And as a result, my experience has been the sophistication, the knowledge of treasurers, of CFOs, FDs has always been that little bit more focused and understanding on the FX piece. And they recognize the impact that this has on a business because it is a constant day-to-day -day issue for them. Mm. So no, there, is a, there is a major gap 
major difference between the two two areas when it comes to understanding what the impacts of FX are on the corporate corporate side. And even just like inside Europe, right? Like maybe our American listeners will think that everyone in Europe is on the euro, which isn't necessarily the case, right? You have a big chunk, which is on the euro, uh, but you do have, especially Eastern Europe and, and some other countries there that have their own local currencies, Romania, Lithuania, etc. So what's the, um, the appetite there, like in Europe specifically, seeing as that's where you mainly deal with? In terms of how they manage it, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, in terms of how they manage it, uh, the needs that you see uh, specifically GPS servicing the most, um, that again, a perhaps US listener or a UK listener wouldn't quite have the context behind or, or know of. Yeah, I think I could probably utilize a, a client as a, as a best example. So they're an American headquartered business with a European um, EMA function, which runs the whole of the European side of business. For them, FX is a massive issue. They're exposed on multiple currencies, GBP, US dollar, CNH, obviously the Euro, and they have to go out managing them. And they they have a whole treasury policy in place. They have a, a structure which they can't use layered hedging for, and it's constant. It's month in, month out. They're, they're making sure that they're up to date. Whereas we've had contact conversations with the, the American head office, and they very much view, while they operate in, in entities like Mexico and they still import from China and pay in uh, CNH, they do not see that as a concern. For them, it's all dollars. There is no real risk. So we are unable to, we don't sell the same products to them because they don't see that risk. Whereas on the EU entity, there is that, that risk is, is apparent and they operate with budget rates. So they have to target these budget rates. They have to make sure they're within a certain bandwidth of it. Otherwise, it has an impact on their on their profit results. And that's the last thing that a business wants. And it has always surprised me when we have that conversation from the EU side, it is very in-depth. We go right into the nitty gritty parts of what is the impacts, how far out can we hedge, how far out can we forecast for a business? Whereas the American conversation is very much about, okay, it's there, but I'm not worried about it. And perhaps it's the size, the impact that there is less FX percentage-wise for the American business versus what the EU entity is. But there is always a difference in conversation. Alex, can you break down for us what's, uh, what will lead hedging and budget rate exactly to the term meaning what the one does? Yeah, so budget rate is the is ultimately a, a business will always establish what their budget rate is, what they are looking to sell their products on from, from a certain level. It can be updated throughout the year, but it tends to be based on next financial calendar year, we're going to operate on this and we therefore need to protect our position based on that. I think if you look at it last year, particularly with the uh, situation with Russia, Ukraine, we saw a lot of businesses simply have to adapt their budget rates. It was no longer feasible to maintain budget rates when we saw such large movements in the market. Layered hedging for me is one of my more favored approaches when it comes to managing the FX risk. I think when a company has a good forecast, be it six months, 12 months uh, forwards, uh, layered hedging is the concept, but every month or every quarter we're putting in new hedges and you're hedging, it, let's say we're doing per quarter, the initial quarter you've got 80, 90% hedged, if not 100%, next quarter is perhaps 60, 70, and so on and so on and so on per quarter. And each quarter you're topping up to make sure that you have that process. And the goal there with layered hedging is really to avoid and minimize big swings in the FX market impacting those budget rates. And I think for me, it's my favorite approach. It gives you a nice smooth curve over the over the tenor. And yeah, most clients tend to appreciate that. They can 
forward plan with a little bit more effectivity. Awesome. We go toward those of uh, Corporate Treasury 101 terms explanation. Thanks for this, Alex. Yeah, good to <laughs> maybe, maybe one last question linked to uh, one of the points you made around Russia, Ukraine. How, so we asked Dave how he has seen the impact of both the climate, climate change around volatility, inflation, interest rates. How do you feel it has impacted businesses and FX brokerage in Europe and the UK? Um, and how do you see it impacting the way you service your clients throughout Europe and your, your region of the world, maybe versus the US? Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure for everybody, this, it was simply so unexpected, so immediate that I think, first of all, it was simply everybody scrambling to adapt to the new situation, recognize, okay, where are our pain, where are our pain points? How do we fix this in a short-term basis? But the, the same focus, well, if this continues, how do we manage this on a long-term uh, view? And I know a lot, a lot last year, a lot of clients were chasing budget rates because it was so fast so unexpected and it was so early in the year that a lot of them hadn't really fixed their hedging positions because it if you're even if you're doing one quarter you've only hedged the first quarter and then from there on in markets had moved immediately so there was a lot of exposure from the european side of things and we did see a lot of clients a lot of companies having to scramble to chase i think as time has gone companies have adapted they recognize they've seen the pain points taken the pain points and have moved forward and we're seeing Right now, I'm seeing much more defensive approaches being taken by businesses, but also more long-term approaches being taken. And I think that's the, that is the one thing where we can come in and really offer that service of, okay, well, if we're looking long-term, let's analyze the information, let's look at your data, and let's see what we can do to really minimize that impact over a 12, 18-month period. Makes a lot of sense. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show and offering us this perspective on more the European and the UK markets. Thanks a lot. Yeah, really appreciate it, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the time as well.